0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A letter from a World War II soldier. June 5th, 1944. U.S. 44th Artillery, England. My dear sister Judith, I hope this letter finds you, your husband Corbin, and all of our family well. I pray daily, thanking God for my life and my gifts of medicine that I am able to use in this war. I pray for you and our family, that God will sustain you. I hope the stress and strain of this wartime has not dampened your spirits. Continue to stay strong as you work from home to support us as we stand in the name of freedom and liberty for all. Last night, I feared that I might die. The bombs were coming down like rain showers, and I jumped into the nearest foxhole that I could find to keep from being hit. As I reached down, my hands touched metal, and after much fumbling and my imagination taking over, I was certain of what lay beneath me, a live bomb. I prayed throughout the night that I would be able to stay as still as possible, for I knew any movement could be deadly. Today, I am back to my duties as the unit's doctor. My medical training has served me well. I must make decisions about each soldier who comes before me with an ailment. The obvious wounds and loss of limbs are easy to send in the infirmary. However, I am seeing more and more men with vague symptoms, And I am often the deciding factor between a few days in the infirmary out of their nerves and fear, or sending someone feigning illness back to the front lines where they most certainly might die. I don't blame them. I know what is going through their heads. I pray I will return to you with my body and mind intact, or be killed instantaneously. The thought of having to live without an eye, an arm, or a leg seems too much to bear one soldier begged me to send him to the infirmary. He had received the news that his baby girl had been born, and he yearned to be as far away from the fighting as possible, that he might survive and hold her in his arms upon return. While I do believe with all of my heart that I am using my God-given gifts to heal the sick, to bring hope to the infirmed, I sometimes have doubt and wonder if there is a God amidst the horror the destruction and the uncertainty I see. Please pray for me to have courage and continual belief in God on those dark days. Tomorrow we will prepare for our attack on the Germans and will enter upon the Normandy beachhead. This letter will not reach you until all is done. And I pray that I will see you soon so that we might sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow in our old Methodist church in Marouge, Louisiana. Tell mom I love her, you remain in my thoughts and prayers. Felix. Dr. Felix Willey was a doctor who served in World War II and stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day alongside the 44th Artillery Unit. His letters, his uniform, even his prized and torn captured Nazi, Nazi flag or on exhibit at the World War II Museum in New Orleans, Louisiana. We get to learn about one of our soldiers' service and his honest joys and fears through his letters. It's a great joy for me to share his memories with you on the eve of Memorial Day. It's a way for us all to remember and give thanks for people who selflessly served our nation in military service during many wars. And it affords me a chance to honor my grandmother's brother, my great-uncle Felix. Letters are a window to the soul. They offer us a glimpse of a person's joy, intrepidation, words of heartfelt praise and thanks, or lament. Letters are stories that come to life through imagery and emotions, with words of exclamation, tear-stained pain and sorrow please for help or requests for prayer. So, as you hear the second scripture reading today, I encourage you to listen to Paul's letter as a prayer to the church in Philippi. It's from the first chapter. Listen now for the word of God as it might speak to you this day. I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. Because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ and Jesus. This is my prayer. That your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full of insight to help you to determine what is best. So that on the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will result in my deliverance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul's letter to the faith community in Philippi is often characterized with two emotions, joy and lament. I am impressed with Paul's joyful spirit and zeal his thanksgiving to God, because he wrote this letter while in jail, awaiting his sentence. I wonder if I were faced with the same situation, would I be joy-filled? Would I stay faithful to God's sustaining love and power, cling to the hope that Jesus Christ is larger and stronger than prison walls, the fear of death, the knowledge that I might not see people I love again? Well, knowing me, and you may not know this about me, I might have more of a tone of lament. I go to the worst-case scenarios. Sometimes I'm worrisome and doubt-filled, and I wonder if each time I received a letter it might remind me that we are apart. Each letter might remind me that I must suffer alone. Biblical commentators state that joy and lament are congruent emotions for Paul to feel. They are not in opposition to one another. Scholars see this letter as one of his most intimate writings, one where he, in essence, allows the church to read this letter as a window into his soul. Paul has always been one of those great models of discipleship we look to for inspiration and honesty. And this portion of his letter reminds us that even in prison, Paul thanked God for the gift of his friends. He stepped out of his misery and recognized that someone was praying for him and that someone was carrying his burden with him through prayer and that while he was physically unable to change the situation, the faith communities that he shared the good news were doing that on his behalf. One Pauline theologian reflects, if the only prayer we ever say in our lives is thank you, That is sufficient. I would add to that thought, if the only prayer we say to one another is, I am praying for you, that is sufficient also. You know, we often think we have to have fancy prayers with lots of large verbs and complex imagery of God to be important. We often fear we don't even know what to say in a prayer when someone is in crisis. But if we take away Paul's wordy long sentences and focus just on it piece by piece, we can see that his instructions are very clear on how to care for one another in times of hardship, distress, fear of the unknown, of the future. I thank God for you as a fellow companion in Christ. I am praying for you and thank you for praying for me. After all... Praying for one another is sometimes the only thing we can do, especially when circumstances are beyond our control. Maybe when we feel helpless watching a friend or loved one who is imprisoned in some way. Imprisonment comes in many forms. Imprisonment that confines our bodies or our minds or our spirits. Imprisonment that can strip us bare of our sense of hope and peace. In some ways, I believe we are experiencing this as we have sheltered in place these last three months. For some of us, we take great comfort in knowing that we are home, safe and healthy with our families. There are others of us who must continue to wake up, dress and go to work where we are interacting with others, possibly working with the sick or providing essentials for other people's daily living. We work and live in a new reality where a virus threatens our lives. And then there are those of us who are all alone, living in our homes or confined to a room of a retirement community where our only interaction with another person is when those essential healthcare workers come in, gloved and masked, to help us but no family or friends to interact with to express affection, a hug, or a kiss. We are called by Christ to transform this broken world, and as disciples, we often feel we need to do something. We need to offer hope and peace to those confined in body, mind, or spirit. We want to help, and we ourselves don't want to feel helpless in a time that sees that each day the news and reports are evolving as to what is safe and not safe. We yearn to use our God-given gifts in some way. And Christ calls us to be doers of the word, to make things happen, to instigate change and transformation. But what do doers do when nothing can be done? We have to sit and listen, watch and wait, Allow time to tell us what will happen when situations are hurtful, sorrowful, possibly even deadly. For us as a faith community, our response is to be countercultural. And while we cannot do something that affects physical signs of change, we as a faith community can do something. We can still be community for each other. We pray. We pray for others and ask for prayers for ourselves. That is the essence of Paul's sentiment in this chapter. He is honest. He is vulnerable. He is real. He praises God and gives thanksgiving and lets them know he is praying for those who love him in Christ, even in the hard times. There was a woman whose spouse died in one of the twin towers of 9-11. In the aftermath, her son would bring the mail to her each day and sit, and he would read those letters of condolences from friends and even strangers. And so often, a card or handwritten note would end with the words, You are in my thoughts and prayers. So many letters. Soon, the son just decided that instead of reading that over and over again, he and his mom would say, "T and P." thoughts and prayers. Several years ago, one of our church members came face to face with death in the diagnosis of a serious form of cancer. He shared with me that his family was overwhelmed with the love and care offered to them. He said the best gifts given were hugs exchanged without words. Words were not needed. When we cannot find the right words to say, a gesture lets someone know that they are in our thoughts and prayers. One particular gift that he was given became a daily comfort to him. It was called a prayer pager. He carried it with him on trips to the doctors, to the hospital for surgery, during the lonely time of recovery at home when people's hugs might not be safe for his recovery. Each time a friend, family member, or even a stranger prayed for him, they would send a text and the pager would alert him. Beep. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Beep, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Beep, T and P. Since this pandemic has affected our world, our nation, and our city, we as a faith community have not been able to come together physically. And as Nate mentioned in the announcements, our sessions task force is prayerfully working on policies and procedures that will allow us to safely come to the campus. To be together as soon as we can. But in the meantime, we have not stopped being the church of Jesus Christ. Many of us have learned how to connect and have community through Bible studies, children's story time, godly play, staff meetings, and committee meetings via Zoom. A virtual community. It keeps us tethered to one another in this time of isolation. Isolation that might feel like imprisonment to some although we know it is for our safety. Others have felt comfortable continuing to mask up and serve meals to those who are hungry through Hot Dish and Hope or other initiatives that are in our city. From a pastoral care perspective, I have been astonished with how many of you have signed up for our Pen Pal program. We've had over 200 volunteers writing to one another. Volunteers that include children, youth and adults of all ages, offering T and P to one another. Whether it is letters to 50 of our members who are in healthcare professions, who either continue to work or have to make difficult decisions about their medical practices, T and P. Our session members writing notes of celebration to 70 of our students graduating from either high school or college, and then, of course, the new initiative that our elders will be contacting our whole congregation, T&P. Notes of care, love, and hope to develop a friendship with over 150 of our members who live alone in their own homes or are isolated in a skill-care facility, T&P. I have received wonderful reports back from people who have volunteered. People who have received these letters, notes, cards, email exchanges, and even phone calls. One member in particular who has been isolated in his room for three months in a skill care unit, unable to see his wife because she lives in a separate apartment, shared with me that he was overwhelmed and deeply moved by the letter he received from one of our youth. He stated he had no idea that our young people would be leading the way, in sharing Christ's love during this time of uncertainty. This youth has continued to call him and they have struck up a friendship. Two other of our young adults who were assigned names have had similar experiences where letters are being exchanged weekly to people they've never met, but know that they are a part of the body of Christ and can be reminded that their faith community has them in their thoughts and prayers. And yet another member reported that the person to whom she was assigned, they have so much in common, she enjoys their weekly connections, and said they might even meet up in a park and take a walk. I wonder how Paul's spirits might have soared with a message from one of the churches that he started. Had they been able to connect quickly with him in some way while he was confined? Even simply with the words, Paul, don't give up on hope. God is with you, and we thank God for you. T and P. Reminders that love is being shared, and God's Holy Spirit is present. Paul was not alone in his struggles, and neither are we. What we are facing, we face together. We are the hands, the feet, the heart of Christ. We are the church for one another. Since 1868, the United States has observed Memorial Day, a day we remember those who have fought and died in battles in the name of our country by decorating the soldiers' graves with flowers or American flags or participating in local and national tributes to ensure that the sacrifices of many are not forgotten. In the year 2000, Congress passed the National Moment of Remembrance Act, asking all Americans to pause wherever they will be at 3 p.m. in their local time and just for one minute lift up silence tomorrow. Silence that for us as Christians include prayers of thanksgiving and remembrance for those who have died for our nation and thoughts and prayers for their families. May we continually remember that we are the church of Jesus Christ. Until I see you again in person, you will be in my thoughts and prayers, T and P, on this Lord's day. Amen.